For those of you I haven't got a chance to meet yet, my name is Cody Waston. I'm the lead pastor here at Antioch, and thank you so much for being here. Looks like um, happy MLK weekend to you. Looks like we've got a few people out camping. Uh, so thank you guys for being here, uh, the few, the chosen, the non-campers. Um, hey, if you haven't been with us uh, for the last couple of weeks, I am a fan uh, of the recap. So uh, I'm going to go over these last couple weeks uh, where we've been. We are continuing our series called We the Kingdom. And uh, we're going to be we're talking for the next several weeks about this idea, what does it look like to be uh, kingdom people? How does being a part of the kingdom of God change the way we think, the way we act, change the way we live our life? We started off by talking about how the kingdom is meant to be a contrast kingdom, that we're meant to live life a little differently, that we might find freedom and wholeness for ourselves, but that we would also have the power and authority to be salt and light in the world. Last week we talked about, um, I keep saying we talked, I guess I talked about it, (laughs) just note to self. Um, I talked about the Holy Spirit and what it looked like to walk in relationship with Him and how that changes uh, the game for us as believers to walk in relationship daily with the Holy Spirit. And tonight, I'm going to be talking about a topic you've probably talked a lot about, um, whether if you've been around church, you've probably heard messages on it, uh, but I'm sure like class, in college, you guys talk a lot about this. We're talking about this concept of how would you answer the question if I went around and just started interviewing people, really simple, hey, answer, answer this for me, who are you? I mean, just really, I mean, I'm not, this isn't like pause for effect moment, this is like All right, let's actually think about, put yourself in that situation. Someone puts a mic in front of you and says, hey, who are you? Now, of course, most of us, most of us would start with our names. When we dig a little bit deeper, okay, great. You're Luke. You're Brett. You're Cheney. Everyone wants, hey, Frank. Uh, You're Cody. Okay, now what? Keep going. Dig a little deeper. We'd start going into... Uh, maybe our titles or our roles. Well, I'm Cody. I'm a, <clears throat> I'm a pastor. I'm a, I'm a dad. I'm, I'm a husband. Uh, okay. Is that who you are? What defines you? If we dig, dig a little bit deeper than your roles and your titles, who are you? It's, it's the most fundamental question at the core of our belief system. We have to know that the truest, uh, the definition of our identity the truest thing we believe about ourselves. At our core, this is who I believe to be. Our identity. If we're going to walk out in all the things of the kingdom and walk out and walk in this amazing relationship with Jesus, if we're going to do all these incredible things, uh, we have to know who we are. We have to know who we are. Now, now we could probably, like, this is a, a psych 101, and I know because I took Psych 101 and I, and I just left after that. I was like, I'm out. I'm not in for 102. <laughs> I'm going to go be a history major. That's what I did. Any history majors? Hey-o. <laughs> history matters. Okay. <laughs> Plug. Hey, but I, uh, our identity. Psych 101 would tell you the power and also the book of James would tell you the power of the words spoken over you. Most of us, our identity can most easily be traced back to the things that have been spoken over us in our life, most oftentimes by the people closest to us. 
Now, there's another thing. Uh, so that's one way that we, we begin to, to carve out who we are and, and, and learn our identity. The other one would be our experiences. What, when we start to realize what we're good at or what we're not at, we can let that define us. If I went around the room, the power of the spoken word, how you talk to people matters. If I walked around this room, I bet you most of us could pinpoint at some point, for, for most of us, some point in our childhood, a moment where a teacher or a parent or a sibling or a best friend said something, called us something, spoke something over us, and it's never left. We can still, as 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years old, we can remember that time. I can remember the time. For me, and I chose to to not go super deep because this could get into like a little counseling session, but I just want to share a little bit about the things that were spoken over me when I thought about what was spoken over me as a kid that stuck with me, that I had to let Jesus rework on, redefine. Um, and and, and the, there's, two, there's two really simple ones. The first one was, I always loved sports. I grew up, like, I'm one of those guys that, uh, or the kids, that, like, the, at the moment that I learned how to walk and, like, kind of start, started to understand how to, you know, move around in this body, I had a ball in my hands. I had, there were sports on the TV. I had to be doing something sports-related from, like, the time I was three. Uh, I'm, like, one of those guys that if you watch, like, big sporting events, like, we have the Super Bowl coming up. And I guarantee you that at some moment, um, I don't guarantee you. No, I don't. <laughs> but probably, um, there'll be a moment in the game where there'll be like this star player. And they'll like pause and they're like, let's do a spotlight of <clears throat> him. And, and there'll be like this home video montage with this like mom or dad speaking overlaid. Like ever since the time Tom was like, three, we just couldn't get the ball out of his hands, and he was just the most, and everything was competitive, and, and that was me. I did everything Tom Brady did. I just didn't make it, um, <clears throat> but I have, like, I could have that home video montage. I could have my dad, ever since he was three, he had a ball in his hands. He just wasn't as good as Tom Brady, you know, <clears throat> but that was me, and so growing up, my life revolved around sports. It was playing sports. I was really good at hockey. I was pretty good at football. Everything else, I just managed my way through. But I loved doing it. I loved playing it. And I, I was watching sports, playing sports, the whole deal. Well, about the time I was like 10 or 12, this weird thing started to happen. Everyone else started to grow. And I started to get really clumsy. And I, unfortunately, my daughter has inherited this from me already. She's three, and I can see it. But I became known around my house and it eventually spread to my friends and my church that I was Cody the Klutz, because I could run, I could, I can ice skate like a boss, and I was really good, but like walking down the stairs was really hard, and I was constantly falling, I was spilling drinks, I was the guy that like, like in the, in school, just like, you hear a commotion, like I'm just on my face, and like all my food's on the floor, like, uh, Cody the Klutz, like he can, he can run down a basketball court, but we, he just can't figure out walking and holding something. And so this is Cody the Klutz. And it was playful. I don't remember, like, going home and crying, like, oh, Cody the Klutz. But it stuck. This, like, oh, I'm, like, they don't talk about really good athletes. Like, oh, he's a Klutz. He doesn't know how to control his limbs. And I would always, like, I would think about it, like, oh, I want to be a professional this, a professional that. And then it'd be like, but I can't, I can't get out of my own way. I'm a Klutz. I'll never make it. And then as I got older, as I was like 18, 19, my group of friends 
they're all musicians, and they played in bands, and they travel all this stuff. And I didn't play an instrument, but I wanted to be a part. At our core, we all want to know who we are and who are our people. And I was like, I still don't know who I am, but you're my people. I want to be around you and be included. So I just started hanging out with the band. And I just started like, after the, the worship leader thought that was funny. <laughs> All right. And um, so I started hanging out with the band and I would just like, after shows or worship sets or whatever, I would be around and just like, like the band would be like tearing down and I'd just be like around them like, hey guys, what's going on? What's that? And can I do that? Or can I help? And I eventually just like started carrying guitar cases like as we left the place to go to the car. And of course, my nickname became Cody the Roadie. And so all of my friends were like, where's Cody the Roadie? We need someone to carry this speaker. Where's and I was like, yes, I'm a, I'm a part of the team. And then I would go home and be like, no one likes the Roadie? Like, and it would just reinforce this like, oh man, I'm, I'm like, a part, I'm a part, but I'm really not. Like, I have friends, but I'm actually not there. I, I can't seem to make it. I can't, I'm not good enough. And you looked at my life from junior high to high school. Junior high was the jam. Everyone talks about hating junior high. I ruled junior high. I would give anything to go back to 6th, 7th, 8th grade. I was awesome at junior high. Okay, that was just, that had nothing to do with my sermon. That was just pride. Just me saying I was, I was really good at junior high. But you look at the story of my life, and I'm like, oh, I'm funny, but I'm not the funniest. I'm really, I was really good at school. I wasn't the smartest. I could, make a, I could make any team I went out for, but I wasn't the best player. And just this mantra in my head, you're never actually good enough. You think you're good, but you're not. You think you can be a part, but you're not. The band thinks you're a joke. The teams think you're a joke. You think you're all these things, but you're not. That's what had to get worked out of me in college as I started to dive into relationship with Jesus. We all have the question mark over us. Who am I? Who are my people? We're desperate to be defined by something. This idea of identity, what we believe to be the truest part of ourself, affects everything. It affects the way we see ourselves, the way we see God, the way we see others. It affects our behavior. You realize what you believe about yourself affects the people you hang out with, the clothes you wear, the what you watch, where you talk. It affects the decisions you make, and I know it because I can tell you a story about it. I was 18 or 19 years old, and I, can't, I don't advocate for uh, smoking tobaccos, but definitely not illegally, but I was um, on a boat with my friends, and we were smoking a cigar, very legal, very above reproach, and, and I just, the, the thing that I had learned about myself was I'm never going to be the funniest person in the room. I'm never going to be the smartest. I'm never going to be the best looking. I'm never going to be the most athletic. So what's left for me to claim as my own? And what was left was I'm going to be the crazy guy. I'm going to be the guy that does things that no one else will. Now, I, now, you guys are probably thinking of who you knew in your world that was like that. I didn't do criminal stuff. I didn't, like, go crazy. But I'm like, oh, no one else is doing that? I'll do it. I don't care if people think I'm, like, like really, like, dumb and immature and all these things, like at least they'll think of me as something. At least I'll have a label. At least I'll be Cody the blank. And so I remember one example of my friend was like, hey, I bet you won't put that cigar out on your forehead. And I was like, everyone's like, oh my gosh, you did I didn't. Because I was smart enough to go, yeah, yeah, you're right. But I'll put it out on my hand. And I was like, 
will anyone, and I was like, will anyone, how about, will anyone else put your cigar out on your hand? And they're all like, huh, no. And I was like, well, I will then. I won't do my forehead because that's, like, I know that's dumb, but I will do my hand because no one else is willing to do it. And I'm like, getting ready to put it, I don't know what it would have done. It would have hurt. I don't know if I'd still have a scar. I don't know. But I just remember my, <laughs> there's some people nodding like, yeah, you would have had a scar. <laughs> Blessings. Okay. My, and my, one of my best friends, Jordan, who's probably going to listen to this message someday. Hey, Jordan. Um, he was the voice of reason in my life. And he, he grabbed the cigar out of my hand, threw it in the lake, Basic, I mean, just embarrassed me in front of all my friends. What are you doing? Why in the world would you do that? That's not who you are. And I was like, actually, yeah, it is. That's like the definition of who I am is the guy that does dumb things. And, and we had to have like our relationship didn't really, um, at that time, we, we fought a little bit. But I'm so thankful for him. But the point of that story is just to illustrate, I mean, I could tell you a lot of other stories. I won't, but I could. I was just desperate for anyone and anything to define me. Tell me who I am. And we're willing in our search for identity, in our need for identity, we're willing to let it dictate our lives. If you let people be the ultimate definition of who you are, then you are, you'll be willing to do crazy things to get them to like you, to get them to laugh at you, to get them to respond to you on social media. It doesn't even have to be good. Some of us just, want, just need attention. It doesn't even have to be good. We just want it. We need it. We need validation. And when we let people be the ultimate source of that identity, it gets really wonky really fast. And there's a master class like story about that in the Bible. Now, don't put the, uh, uh, Tom, don't put this up on the screen yet. I want to set up the stage for just a second. There was, in the Old Testament, there's a king named Saul, and Saul was anointed king, and God told Saul, hey, here's what to do. Here's what, obey me and do all of these things. This is what obeying me and following me looks like. Well, of course, Saul went and disobeyed. He didn't follow the, the, the commands of the Lord, and so basically we have this passage in Scripture where Saul is getting rebuked hardcore by the Lord. And the Lord's using this prophet named Samuel. And he's like, go tell Saul, I got, some, I got a bone to pick with him. And he shows up. And so Samuel shows up and he looks at Saul and he says, he starts laying out all the ways that, that Saul missed it. All the disobedience, all the, we, I told you to do this, but you did that. I told you not to do this and you did that. You messed up. This was Saul's response, 1 Samuel 15, 24. I'm, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and I obeyed their voice. I feared the people and I obeyed their voice. That was the story of my life. I fear what people might think of me, and I, will, I would be willing to do anything to get them to like me, to get them to accept me, to get them to tell me who I am. If we don't know our God-given identity, we are liable to do what King Saul did and to fear people more than we fear God, to obey people more than we obey God. And you might have this pure heart that wants to love Jesus and live out the kingdom and see all these things come to fruition in your life. But if you don't know, if, if your soul isn't anchored in who it, you are, you will find yourself adrift down a road you don't know how you got there. And you trace it back, you got there because you don't know who you are. And so you might love Jesus with all your heart, but you want people to tell you who you are. You might love Jesus with all your heart, but you want people to accept you. You want people to like you. It's called fearing people more than we fear the Lord. And it, 
messes everything up. And to take it to a step further, after Saul says this, like, you're right, I messed up, I obeyed, I feared people and I obeyed them, uh, the Lord rebukes him some more. And then at the end of this passage, just to, just to show, just to demonstrate where his heart, how far his heart had drifted, this is how this passage ends. 1 Samuel 15, 30, Saul says, you're right, I have sinned, but honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel. He's talking to Samuel and he's saying, you're right, I messed up, I repent, I sinned, but please don't let people think anything bad of me. Please present me to my people with honor. Let them think good things about me. He's sitting in the place of repentance and, and sorrow and he's still saying, I don't, you know, God, I, I, I get it, I messed up, but please don't shame me in front of my people. It's, it's, the, it's like the definition of, of us caring more about people and not willing to be vulnerable with people. I would rather hide things from you than God. That's wrong. That means I fear what you think more than I fear what God thinks. If, we're gonna, if, we, if, we don't, if we don't know our identity and fight for it every day, we're liable to drift into Saul territory and to start fearing people and obeying them. And even when we're caught, even when we're like, oh gosh, you're right, I sinned. But don't, let, don't tell people. Don't tell anyone. I have a reputation to uphold. Uh, people think highly of me. I don't want them to find out I'm not perfect. I don't want them to find out I messed up. It's a definition of pride. It's a definition of an identity that's defined by people. And it is the definition of what we're trying to avoid. All right, I think you get the point. You with me? All right. So let's look at, whenever we're, we're talking about things, we want to be a people who look at Jesus. Jesus is the model of the kingdom. He's the model that we want to model a life after. So how could we model, where does Jesus model this idea of knowing who you are so that you can walk out in the purpose and calling God has on your life? Well, lucky for us, there was a disciple named Mark. Mark wasn't as interested in all the fluffy details as some of the other guys were. He was like... If he was in the room, he'd probably be like the doctor, like, just give me the facts. Don't tell me how everyone was feeling. Just what happened. So we get this account in Mark. Mark 1, 9 through 15. I'm going to read it all, then we'll break it down. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now, after John the Baptist was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Okay. So here's the flow of this chapter of Mark. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. You can't get much more identity than that. So Jesus, it's, the Bible says that Jesus uh, uh, embraced fully what it means to be human. That's why you get the phrase in, in the church, he was fully God and fully man. He, in, he endured and experienced everything it meant to be human, which means he experienced needing to, to know his identity. He experienced the question mark, who am I? Heaven answers, you're my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Jesus receives identity from heaven. Can you imagine all of you in the room? You're all, you're all kids of someone at some point. 
Can you imagine if that was the heart of your parents over you, being spoken over you every day? You're my beloved son. You're my beloved daughter, and I'm pleased with you. Parents, imagine how our kids' lives would look different if that's the identity we spoke over them. I love you. You are my beloved. I'm pleased with you. I like you. It's identity, and it's from heaven. Immediately, it says, the Spirit immediately, the next verse, uh, drove him out into the wilderness, and he's tempted. Now, other, other accounts of this, uh, of this uh, moment in time include that Jesus would recite uh, Scripture to overcome temptation. Mark is making a direct parallel to Jesus was able to overcome temptation because he knew who he was. He had just received his identity, he experienced temptation in the desert, and he overcomes. If you and I are going to walk in freedom and walk in wholeness and walk in all the things we're hoping to walk in, we have to know who we are. We can't, it's hard to walk in purity if you think you're impure. It's hard to walk in peace if you've just decided, I'm an anxious person. It's hard to walk in power and freedom to speak in other people's lives if you're believing the lie, I'm just not good enough. Why would God use me? I'm a mess. I'm a wreck. I'm emotional. If that's what you define yourself as, then yeah, that's who you, of course, you won't walk in what God has for you. God knew, Jesus knew who he was. He had identity from heaven. He was able to overcome temptation in the desert. And the very next thing Mark says happened is he starts his ministry. Jesus knew, received his identity, believed it, overcame temptation, and started his mission. If you and I are going to walk out in the callings and the adventure and the story that God has for us, we have to know who we are, believe who we are, and fight for who we are. Biblically. Y'all with me? There's like, it's just like logically, it's just like we have all of these things we're believing for. It's like I want God to bring me so much freedom from this, this, this cycle of pride in my life. God, would you free me from pride? But if we ask, if we dig down far enough, your response is, well, I'm a prideful person. You were begging God to free us from the very thing we keep speaking over us. God, I'm imp- God I want to be pure. I'm, such an, I'm an impure mess. Why would anyone ever, like, I'm worthless. I'm, I'm a wreck. I'm nothing. But God, would you set me free? And we keep going back and forth in this, this like, this dance in our mind of, I want these things. God, I believe you for these things. But actually, you know what? This is who I am. But I guess I'll just spend the rest of my life praying and hoping that you can set me free when really I don't believe it because I'm over here in my mind just saying, you know, I'm impure, I'm gross, I'm worthless, I'm prideful, I'm a loser, I'm broken, no one ever is going to love me, I'm not worth anything to anyone, let alone the kingdom, how could God ever use me, I'm not the smartest, I'm not the brightest, I'm not the coolest, I'm not the most attractive, and then we're over here like, but God, it just doesn't line up. We have to line up. We have to, we have to say, feelings aside, what other people have spoken aside, I'm going to choose to line myself up with the kingdom. I'm going to align my emotions with the kingdom. I'm going to align my thought life with the kingdom. I'm going to align what I believe about myself. Even if I don't see it or feel it, I'm going to align it with what God says so that I can walk out in who I am with power to walk in freedom. Amen. All right, so we, what is this, this identity from heaven? Well, I chose four scriptures tonight just for you guys to hear, meditate on. It's truth. 
And we're gonna t- we're gonna spend the, the the last part talking about some other things. Okay. So, as kingdom people in Christ, this is truth. Now, let me just let me just start by saying this: you might not feel it. Oh, I have so much I want to say right now, but it's not pastoral. I just don't know how to do it. Lord, help me. I just, we, like, I, I could give a rip about my feelings. Like, feelings, like, you, at some point, each one of you has to draw a line in the sand and say, my feelings don't dictate my life. If you don't set that, if you don't have a moment with God, then your day-to-day life will be dictated by the wind of your feelings. We, I think I talked about it in, in a few sermons ago. Like, the breadth of, of capacity for human emotion is crazy. The, the, the amount of emotions you felt today is crazy. Why would you let your, like, life be dictated by them? Like, we, like you might not feel it. And people will say, well, this can't be true because I don't feel it. I don't know what to tell you then. Because what you felt yesterday isn't what you're feeling today. So what's changed? What's true about your feelings? They come and go. They're fleeting. We have to have an anchor, and our anchor isn't our feelings. It's the truth of Scripture. It's what God says over us. And, like, we have to be people that are rooted and grounded in Scripture so that when we don't feel it, we're like, hey, I don't feel this today. Thank God. Thank you that it's still true. You can feel things, and they not dictate your life and your decision-making. And Okay, okay. Another sermon, another time. <laughs> I feel good. Okay. Galatians 4, 7. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. You are not a slave. So you might feel like you're a slave to the sin cycle you've been trying to get out out of for a year. But in Jesus, the truth of Scripture is that by the power of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, you're not a slave. Now, you might think it and believe it, and your actions might follow what you think and believe, but the truth is the truth. You're not a slave, but a son. You're a child of God, not a slave. And not only a child, but an heir. The Bible says we're co-heirs with Christ, which this verse is then saying, not only are you not a slave, you're royalty. You're an heir don't think like a slave. Don't act like a slave. That's not who you are. Romans 8.1, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Praise God. There is no condemnation. Now there's conviction. We talked about last week. The Holy Spirit's job is to convict us of sin, to highlight, to press in on our spirit and say, that's not the way. That's not who you are. There's a better way. Turn and repent. That's conviction condemnation would take your shame, take your regret, take all those feelings and say, that's who you are. That thing you did yesterday, that's who you are. That's your definition. You are condemned to forever be defined by your mistakes. That's condemnation. But according to Scripture, that it doesn't exist for, for those of us that are in Christ. I, I am not defined by my response to my kids in anger this morning. I'm not, I'm not now suddenly a, an anger, uh, uh, angry, sinful person. I'm a happy person that have a, had a, an angry moment. Um, I'll talk about that in a moment. There's now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 37 uh, through 39. 
In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You are more. I don't, to be honest, I don't even know what that means. But I like it. Like, you can conquer something. That to me is like, you did it. You like won. You, you did it. You, but we're more than that. Awesome. Okay. We're more than conquerors. Praise God. That means you're not meant to just try and survive life. That means the, the, the thing going on in your life right now that you don't think there's any way you can get out of or get over, hmm, you're, you're a conqueror and you're more than that. Through Jesus, you've been given everything you need to not just survive life, not just limp your way through the battle, but to conquer it. And, and maybe to be more than a conqueror is your conquering sets the way for other people to experience freedom. I don't know. That's Okay, cool. All right. Verse 38. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. In Christ Jesus, you're loved. This is the hard one. You don't feel it. This is where humans mess it up the most. You don't feel loved by people. You don't feel loved by uh, your family, your your mom, your dad, uh, your coworkers. You feel you're single and you don't feel loved and wanted and pursued. You don't feel, but nothing. Like the person in this room that has the greatest revelation of the love of God in their life, I mean, this is the person that if you start talking to them about how much God loves them, it's like, this got weird. Because they're like, oh, I just, I, just lo- I just live in the love of God. It just like flows over me. And I just like, I just sit in it all day. And you're just like, what in the world? I don't know the love of God that way. I, maybe I need to. That person hasn't scratched the surface. They haven't touched, they haven't touched it. How much you are loved and fought for. Death isn't going to stop it. The way you live your life isn't going to. It says no, life. Life is not going to separate you from how much God loves you. Angels and nor rulers. The spiritual realm cannot keep you from the love of God. Your past, your present, your future. Whatever you de- deem as powers in your life. The height, the depth. Nothing created which is everything, will be able to separate us from the love of God. We are loved. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed, and behold, the new has come. We are not defined by yesterday. We're not defined by last year. Jesus speaks. The gospel speaks, and it proclaims you're new. You're new. The old is gone. You literally are not that person anymore. When I was in college and being discipled, this is how I got discipled in that way. The guy discipling me would look at me, and I was, you know, I have all these stories I could, I could highlight, but it would take too long. But he would look at me and say, I would come to him, and there was a life group where, um, one life group where in the middle of life group, somebody just, uh, uh, was life group is our small groups that meet around the, t- the city, and so we're in like this circle, and we're like talking about a scripture. Like, what does everyone think about this? And, and, and one of the guys in the group just got up and laid down in the middle of the circle and didn't say anything. People are weird, man. We're weird. <laughs> Humans are weird. So he just lays down. And, of course, I'm leading this life group, so everyone's like. 
and I had no idea what to do. I was like 19. I was like, like one of my first times leading, and I was just like, well, someone just needs to take a break, so we'll just keep going. Like, and I, like, that's, I, I said that. I was like, looks like he needed to take a little break, but we're going to keep going. Inside, I'm like, I'm running for the door. Like, get me out of this moment. Get, and the guy that, that was my discipling me was, that, was in that life group. And so afterwards, we're talking, and, and I come over to or we're talking, and I'm like, you don't have to say it. I, I, I whiffed. Like, that was the most, that was the poorest job of leading or pastoring a situation I've ever seen. I just, just avoided the guy that planked in the middle of our life group and just moved on. And, uh, and he looked at me and said, no, 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 you're an amazing, gifted pastor. You just had a non-pastoral moment. So let's just figure out, learn from it, and move on. And this is the way he would disciple me for years. Uh, 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 uh. You are a pure man. You had an impure moment. It's time to get up, move on. Now, there's consequences to sin, and there's, we need to repent, and all these things. But at the end of the day, you're, an, you're a pure man of God who had an impure moment. It's time to get up and move forward. And just over and over, every part of my, me that wanted to be like, I'm nothing. I am the worst. And he would look at me and say, no, no, no. You are one of the most humble men I know. You just had a prideful moment. Let's move on. That's, that's this scripture coming to life. The old is gone. You used to be prideful. You used to be lustful. You used to be all these things. That's not who you are anymore. Praise God. All right. Now, if I looked at my kids and I said, I love you, like once, and I expected them to remember it and for it to be, change their life forever, you guys would, like, report me. I tell my kids I love them to, like, uh, there will never be, there, you can never tell your kids you love them too much. But if it ever got to a weird point, like, I'm, I'm knocking on that door. Like, with Eleanor, um, Shepard is one, he's, like, just crazy and walking around. He doesn't really fully understand words, so I, he, he's going to learn what I love you means. But Eleanor, it's like, Eleanor will walk up to me and be like, Daddy, I have to go to the bathroom. And I'll be like, oh, let's go. I love you. One day, she's going to be like, that's weird. Just take me to the bathroom and, like, move on. And, Dad, I, I'm hungry. And I'll be like, oh, let's go, let's go have a snack. I love you. Like, all the time, I just, I, like, want her to know that, like, no matter who she, where she goes in life and what she ends up doing, no matter if she's having a good day or a bad day, nothing changes that I love her, her emotional, like, she had, like, yesterday was just a rough day with Eleanor, but you know what? She went to bed having heard me tell her I love her the same amount as of the days that she's on top of the world. Like, she knows, and she knows, and she knows that I love her, and I speak identity over her. I go to... Now this, um, okay, I, every night at, uh, at bedtime, I tuck her in, we do our routine, and then I tell her, Eleanor, you're bold, brave, and beautiful, and I love being your daddy. And she doesn't know it yet, but I'm going to say that to her at her rehearsal dinner if she ever gets married. Oh, the tears are going to flow. <laughs> and I, it's going to be good. But that little girl and that little man are going to grow up Every day, hearing from their dad, this is who you are. I love you. This is who, what I see in you. And guess what? I'm pleased with you. I love being their dad. I love being their dad. We think we can live off the fumes of what God spoke to us yesterday, last week, last month, years ago, and it just doesn't work. If you and I are going to make it for the long haul in the kingdom, we have to daily be reminded, this is what God says of me. This is who God says I am. 
You know, I don't know about you, but like I wake up in the morning and I've got like within a, like a couple minutes, I have all sorts of thoughts and lies coming at me. Most of them involve me just being lazy and staying in bed. Just, you're, yeah, yeah, nothing you do today, Matt, just stay in bed. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Some days I give in. Actually, no, that's a lie. I don't. I can't. So I have a kid. I have kids. I have more than one kid. I have two kids. <laughs> Woo, that got weird. Okay. I have a kid. I have kids, and they are amazing. Lord, okay. But here's the point. The kingdom is built on pursue and response. God pursues us, but he's built it into the system. Us pursuing him, pursuing knowing him and loving him and seeking him out. Jeremiah 29, 11 and 13. We love Jeremiah 29, 11. Some of you guys can start quoting it right now, but we stop at 11 for some. And 12 and 13 are amazing. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Ooh, that's I. Ooh. Okay, verse 12. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Psalm 34, 4. I sought the Lord, and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. Going back to Jesus as our model. Jesus, Mark 1, 35. Jesus, rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. We have been invited into a lifelong relationship. Relationships take time. I don't have relationship with those in this room that I have not spent time with. I just, it's just a fact. Like I can, like Wikipedia is the most amazing thing. Like Michael Scott says it himself. Wikipedia is the most amazing place because anyone can put anything on there and you know it's true. But I can like Wikipedia like a celebrity and like it's creepy how much you can find out on Wikipedia. It's like, how do these people know what Chris Pratt is allergic to? I don't know, but now I know. And I can have all of this information about people, but I don't know them unless I spend time with them. I want to wrap up uh, tonight by talking about a thing. You might have heard this phrase around here, time with God, time with Jesus. Last week, I announced that we're going to be doing an initiative uh, tomorrow, Tuesday, and Wednesday. We're opening up the church offices uh, every morning at 6.30 and inviting anyone who wants to to come spend time with God together to just learn what it looks like so that we might be equipped to do it in our own life. But here's the, the, here's the like, big picture vision for that. It's relationship. If we're going to have relationship with God, we have to spend time with Him. Now, devotional life is not like a new concept. I haven't like cracked the code all of a sudden. Like, guys, guess what? We can spend time with Him and it'll change your life. That's like kind of core to being a believer. And you might have heard it called all these different things, devotional life, quiet time, I don't know all the other names of all the different places you've been. We call it time with God. Because at the end of the day, I want to be in relationship. And to be in relationship, I need to spend time. So I invite you. I know tomorrow is a holiday for some. For some, it's not. We're doing it every day, 6.30. Try to commit to coming to one. We'll have coffee. We'll spend time with God together. Maybe you'll make a friend. Then you'll go off to work and you'll go off to school, and it'll be amazing. So I encourage you to come. Uh, check out our, our Instagram, our social media. We'll have the address up on there and have all the details. Um, but, and if, you, if you're, like, dying to know, come over to Next. We'll, we'll let you know the address and give you all that, that good stuff. But I'm going to end with this. How spending time with God has changed my life in knowing my identity. 
Because it's great to, to have a preacher like list off some cool scriptures and be like, wow, those, those are cool. It's another thing to day after day after day after day seek the heart of God and read Scripture and, and ask for the, the Holy Spirit to make it come alive in your life. But we also get to ask, like, like in college, I um, can remember the, the, the exact location that this happened. It was, it was an early morning. I, was, I lived in a house with 10 guys, and it was a massive house. But we were all, like, all 10 of us were like, we want to go after this, this life with Jesus thing. We held each other accountable. It was awesome. Lucas Griffin in the house. Okay. So um, I'm, I'm spending time with God early in the morning. I got up. I, and I, I put on some worship in my headphones. I opened up scripture. And I was just like, God, I want to meet with you. And at that time in my life, life was chaotic. Life was crazy. Everything around me, relationships had just, uh, a relationship had just ended. School was crazy. I, I just had all of this. All of a sudden, you're like, like, I got broken up with, and suddenly I'm like, what am I doing with my life? And I don't know how those two things, like, equate. But they did for me as, like, a 20-year-old. I was like, my girlfriend left me. Why am I at Baylor? What am I doing with life? What is, what is the meaning of this? And I was sitting there with God, and I was like, I have to meet with you. God, I, I, I know so many scriptures, but I just need something personal. I need you to speak. And I would challenge all of you in your times with God, whatever they look like, to ask him the question, what do you think of me? What do you say about me? And he'll just, maybe he'll speak a verse or maybe he'll just speak a word. That morning he spoke Psalm 52.8. I just had my eyes closed and I saw that like in my mind's eye. And I was like, well, I don't know if this is God or not, but I'm going to give it a shot. Just sidebar. You might get it wrong a lot. Half the time I like open, I'm like, that was not God because... I'm like, oh, what? Oh, he, just, he directed me to this passage, and it's like, and like I don't know. I'm not going to say what it could be, but I'm like, I don't think that was for me. I don't think that was God, so I'll just ask again. So keep pressing in, keep doing it. But Psalm 52.8, I am like an olive tree flourishing in the courts of the Lord. I trust in God's unfailing love forever and ever. God spoke to me using an olive tree. And he said, you're flourishing. And I challenged God, and I said, yeah, have you seen my life? Nothing about my life is flourishing. My relationships aren't. I don't know if up from down, I'm a wreck. And he spoke and he said, but you're flourishing with me. And he spoke and he said, now dig in on the olive tree. And I started researching the olive tree. I hate olives. They're gross. But man, I love the olive tree. I love the olive tree. I started doing all this research. Olive tree is, the olive tree is an evergreen. Its, its leaves never die. It doesn't go from season to season, withering and then coming back to life. And God spoke and said, you're a man who is, I have designed that the seasons won't dictate whether or not you are thriving or flourishing. In and out of every season, you will be a man who flourishes. And you want to know why? Olive trees are one of the best trees at their root systems going deep and wide and seeking out water sources. And he said, you know, olive trees can thrive in desolate places. And he said, it does not matter your season. It does not matter where I call you. You are a man who is designed by me to thrive and to flourish. It does not matter what your feelings say or your experiences say. That's who I say you are. So I tattooed it on my arm. I have an olive tree on my arm. So I will always remember the moment that God said, I don't care what your feelings say. I've called you to be a man who flourishes. Thank you, God. Psalm 18, 19. I haven't tattooed this one yet. But a similar situation, and he spoke to me. He said, Psalm 18, 19. He brought me into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delights in me. See, for most of my life, 
I assumed God rescued me. He died on the cross because it was the next chapter of this divine cosmic plan. That he didn't have a choice. And God has, for the last 10 years, been trying to get me to understand. Psalm 18, 19. I rescue you because I delight in you. What do you delight in? Delight is a powerful word. I don't just love you. I don't just like you. I delight in you. I still don't know what that word means, but I'm excited to figure it out one day. We have to hear God and know God, believe what he says about us to be true, fight to hold on to it every day that we might be able to walk out in our God-given identity and not let the people in our life be the ultimate definition of who we are. Because guess what? My wife's amazing. She doesn't define who I am. The moment I let my wife tell me if I'm good enough, I've missed it. Because I'm going to fail her, and she's going to fail me. My kids, my friends, my staff, my parents, doesn't matter how close they are or how much they love me, I can't let them define me. We have to be a people, as kingdom people, who seek the heart of God. Let Him be the ultimate authority of our identity, and then fight to walk it out, fight to believe it. And I just want to challenge us. You heard me throughout this message as I end. We need people in our life reminding us who we are. Hold your tongue. The next time you want to look at a friend or a sibling and speak something negative. You might think it's a joke. They might be sitting up here 20 years later preaching about it. The power of your words. It matters to what we speak over people. Whew. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. All right. I want to end like we do every week by offering anyone in this room who needs Jesus, Jesus, the gospel, the good news that there's a better way, the good news that, that the, the communion we took and the songs we sing aren't just to make us feel good about ourselves, but they're about a Savior who lived and died that we might have abundant life, that, might, that created a better way for you and I to live, to have abundant life, to have eternal life, to have freedom and wholeness. He purchased us with his blood. And the Bible says all we have to do is believe in our heart, confess with our mouth. So what I want to do now is invite us all to pray. If you would bow your heads. Those in the room, you're welcome to join me, to, to pray with me, to, to pray in your own words. Whatever it, it needs to be for you, God's about your heart. And if you're not in the room, if you're already a believer, just start asking God, where are the places where my identity is, is in anything but you? Jesus, I love you. I need you. I'm tired of doing it my own way. I'm tired of being defined by people and by my failures. Jesus, I don't understand it all right now, but I choose you. I choose the better way. I believe you are who you say you are. You're the, you're the, the only way, the only truth, and the only life. So Jesus, come, be Lord of my life. I surrender it all to you tonight. Amen.